This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Ready? Nice. All right. Ready. Ready to rock. Go. Hello? Hey. I'm here. Yeah. Okay. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, man. Go. It's time. <laughs> okay. You go. You're, it's, your, it's, your, uh... it's your, it's your, it's your podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the carousel. <laughs> Welcome to the carousel podcast. Uh, I'm here with Astral. We're recording on like 17 different platforms at once. Uh, here to talk about Vice, where things are going with Vice, the giant gaping hole in the center of culture where Vice should be that I keep uh, talking to people about all the time. So Astral, you as an old, old man who has been around for many decades, um, you know, you you were around for the beginning of Vice and the beginning beginning of something called Big Brother. So why don't you give us the a little bit of the history here and, and we can start with that. All right, my friend, thanks for the intro. Make sure you mute both your mics. Okay. Perfect. And yes, I like that. The huge gaping hole in culture. That is that is correct. Now, to be clear, Vice has left a huge gaping hole in culture for years at this point. Um, there has basically been no culture in America since, I guess, 2016, when, when Trump was elected. Everything went woke at that point. Everything went to hell and like the trannies took over. And the liberals uh, totally made a blitz to take over like the media and they were totally backed by uh, the Democrats and the mainstream media. And like apparently like the CIA and, and the FBI based on what the Twitter files showed us. So it was just like a total, total takeover. So everything that you saw happening since Trump took over has been like manufactured and it's been basically a psyop uh it's been it's been top-down directed manufacture of culture and the interesting thing about this is vice was like the forerunner of this vice was out front vice started this vice was like it came out of this real irreverent milieu from the 90s that really got its start back in like the 60s and 70s with Anything from like the Harry Crumb comics to like all the, the you know, Charles Bukowski and all the small publishers that publish him. I, I wouldn't even know the names of any of those those companies. They weren't even companies. They were just like total fly by night, small independent things where nobody was making any money. And they were publishing local, you know, Bay Area poets and storytellers and, and, and comic strips and stuff like that. So that was like the underground scene. And then... uh the more mainstream thing was was Playboy, 
which wasn't quite as irreverent, but you know, it was still like a nudie magazine back back then. So it was still kind of like not totally mainstream. So, so what this year was, is this? Let's what year are you talking about? Well, well, I'm kind of giving like um the context that Vice came out of, really. So the 70s, the 60s and 70s, when Playboy was out and Playboy was like the mainstream thing. And then you had like all the underground porn. You had the. Um, and you were like a teenager around that. In, in the yeah, I was, I was a teenager in the <laughs> 70s. And, um, you were like 15, 16. But this was like, were... this was kind of like, I wouldn't call it the heyday. I, get, I don't know, maybe you could call it the heyday, like Rolling Stone magazine, Hunter S. Thompson, all that stuff. And well, then you're, all... you're talking about the birth of what is referred to as um, uh, it's like gay to lease, you know, it's subjective journalism. There, there was a well, Gonzo, yeah. Well, no, but Gonzo was really was Hunter S. Thompson, who I think believe he made up that entire word. But even before that, there was the heyday of subjective journalism, which was that there was a guy named Gay Talese who wrote a famous piece, I think in like Esquire or GQ called Frank Sinatra has a cold. And it was all about trying to get an interview with Frank Sinatra because he had been assigned to get an interview with Frank Sinatra. And this article is fantastic. He follows around Frank Sinatra and he was like kind of a celebrity in his own right. This guy, Gay, Gay Talese at this time. And he follows Frank Sinatra around and like watches him because he gets into all the parties that Frank is going to, but he can't like get to Frank because at this point, Frank was a complete asshole, like just totally repellent to anybody who tried to get to him. And there's a great moment where Frank like, like uh, kicks out this young Jewish guy from a club that he was at. And it's just, Dude, amazing... you got to unmute your Twitter mic, but keep, keep talking. It's just an amazing piece of, um, Unmute my Twitter mic. Oh shit! Sorry. Wait, could you not hear me fucking talking that entire? No, time? just keep keep talking. God damn it! It's getting all fucked up here. Could you not hear me when I was talking that entire time? I could hear you. I you could, could hear, hear me, but nobody else could fucking hear me. That doesn't matter. Just okay, keep sorry. Going. <laughs> all right, all right. What I was saying is, Gay Talese in the sixties and seventies, he gave birth to like subjective journalism, which later was called Gonzo journalism, where you're not reporting, you yourself are a part of the story. And he has a, his, his sort of iconic piece, Gay Talese was called Frank Sinatra has a cold. And it's him who was a celebrity in his own time, trying to get an interview with Frank Sinatra, but he's getting into all the parties that Frank is getting into, but he can't get to him because Frank is a complete asshole. Like, total, total asshole to everybody. Like he, he's fighting with people all the time. He refuses to get anybody, uh, anybody get close to him. Then there's an amazing scene in this article called Frank Sinatra has a cold. I think it was in GQ or Esquire where Frank like confronts this like young Jewish kid playing pool at some bar that he's at and he like throws the kid out of this bar and it's just an incredible article. Yeah, this and is that great. was one of the first pieces of what later became Gonzo journalism where, you know, like Norman Mailer and uh, obviously Hunter S. Thompson, they're becoming characters in their own journalistic works. Yeah, I'm glad you specified that because that's one of the things I wanted to say about Vice. Uh, 
the content Vice put out, especially in like a certain window, like maybe 2006 to early 2000 teens was the best content anywhere, period. It was the best shit uh, like in any media. At the same time, they're, they were calling themselves Gonzo and they still are considered Gonzo to this day. And the reason why is because everyone paying attention to Vice was equally as aware of like what was happening in Brooklyn as they were of of, you know, watching the content that they were putting out. So they have like a, a reputation of being like, you know, party animals. They have a reputation of having like the craziest, least professional work environment like of all time at their offices. Yeah. Legally, you know, they had a legal exception that they tried. Yeah. To- you had to sign a thing. They're like the kings yeah. of the non-disclosure agreement. I remember. But they, it didn't work. That was the problem. It, it, well, didn't, it didn't save them. They still got sued. They still got fucked. So they tried to have like, this is a special working environment where, you know, we can fuck bitches was basically the. Well, you had to sign a thing that said like it literally said it included violence, like it included if you saw violence there, like you're okay with it and you can't like sue them. Yeah, but (laughs) it didn't work. It didn't work. They still got sued. And the Civil Rights Act trumps the. uh, Of course, of course. But Brooklyn vice contract. what, What were some of the things they got sued for? There's discrimination. They got sued for everything, bro. As as it went on, discrimination, hostile work environment. You know that that's what put all the pressure on them. They got totally taken over. You know, I mean, they got they got completely longhoused in every way. You yeah, know, they got they got they got longhoused by investors. They got longhoused by um, legal problems. And Shane Smith just wasn't b- built for it. That was the problem. You know, they. <clears throat> They lost their heart and soul. You know, it's uh, Gavin McGinnis. Once Gavin McGinnis was gone, all they had was the sales guy. And if the sales guy is running your entire journalistic operation, obviously, you know, it's only going to go in one direction, which is what happened. But they had a good run, though. Great run. Great run. But yeah, they were the most, I mean, they were, they were the fucking epic. They became the epicenter of wokeness, which, which is just, it was crazy to watch. It was crazy to watch the whole thing uh, play out because they were doing things like in, I think it was like 2004, 2006, somewhere in there, the Vice Guide to Travel. Yeah. I mean, it was it was long ago enough that it still came out on VHS. That's how old it was, that the Vice Guide to Travel came out on VHS. And they, um, the Asian guy, whose name I can't remember now, the one that nobody cares about, though, <laughs> went went to the, you mean con- the Indian guy like Indian is an a- Indian Asian or actually no, he's he's Asian. He's one of the founders. It was Shane. Yeah, Smith. No, but he's the Indian guy. Oh, I thought he was fucking Korean or something. No, no, no. He's See, Korean. I don't even know what like race he is. <laughs> it's like, yeah. He uh, he went to. Uh... No, it wasn't an Indian guy, dude. It was definitely a Korean guy. So. He was one of their like original journalists, but maybe he wasn't one of the. You're owners. thinking of are you thinking of uh, like um the artists who did the road trip stuff? Either way, not, he not went... Roy Choi. He's he's like an LA guy. Not it's not David Chang. It's not Roy Choi. It's like the other one of those guys who's a who's a uh, an artist. He was he yeah. was with Vice early early like yeah, but he wasn't often, a founder. He was putting a lot of their content out, and he went to the Congo. Did you see this episode? 
Yeah, I think I do remember. Oh, this okay. One. Yeah, yeah, Your yeah. canceled tells me it's David Cho. Yeah, yeah, David Cho. That's David right. Cho. You, that is canceled. exactly who it is. Long time no talk. David Cho went to the Congo for, to like to like investigate sex tourists there, and there it was like old like eighty year old German men who were having sex like orgies with like HIV positive pygmy women, and like David Cho was like. <laughs> in their hotel room like while they were having orgies like you know like smoking crack like right, that's right. the kind of shit that yeah. these guys used to get into totally. and then 10 years later they were putting out like female fight club where like trans women were like having pillow fights and stuff it was like the the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen in my life and, you know there's uh, a guy now and i really of course it's like i don't have his name in front of me which really sucks but there there's a guy now who's like a young good-looking kid and he does these like seven hour youtube streams in la where he goes around and like goes deep into skid row and like goes into people's trailers and shit and people give him super chats that they it has to say on the air and so it like says, you know, terrible shit, like in, in front of these people that he's with. And he like gets in confrontations with people all day, but yeah, it's all is, live. It's a live cool. spring. This is pretty cool. Yeah. It's, in, it's on in YouTube? one of them. Yeah. It's on YouTube. I'll find the guy's name. Of course. I, I don't have it in front of me, but, um, uh, he, uh, he, in one of them, he ends up in a trailer in the middle of skid row and Andy Dick is in there. Like like Andy Dick, you know, like, like the living there. No, he's like in there, like doing crack with buying some drugs. Guy. Yeah, no, it's fucking unbelievable. And you, can, it's like nobody talks about this, but it's on it's on YouTube, and it's because these streams are like seven hours long, so only a bunch of weirdos watch them. But a, a friend of mine who makes like kind of Gonzoy documentaries is obsessed with this shit, and he sends it to me every day. I need to find the guy's name. Well, Vice, yeah, Vice, like was ahead on all this stuff. I mean, I I lived. Uh outside of Montreal for a while at the turn of the millennia. Actually, I lived there several times and that's where Vice came out of and it used to be free. And I remember thinking that like, I must I must be remembering that wrong. I can't possibly have been free, but I looked it up and it was. And one of the things on there was um, the do's and don'ts. Did you ever see that? Yeah. Oh yeah, dude, yeah. do's and don'ts was one of the best things they did. It was the best rock. thing. And everyone yeah. like up and down from Montreal to, to New York City, like, People talked about it all the time. I, you you bring that up at a party anywhere in that corridor and people knew what you were right, talking the sound, about. The sound's going to be better now. Sorry. And, and, and everyone knew what you were talking about. And come to find out later, that was Gavin McGinnis doing that. Yeah. But, oh, no. He, his do's and don'ts were amazing. Those were, that was thing, one of the funniest parts. That struck me about it back then, which I now see as like a precursor to the internet. It's like it was like the people of Walmart. <laughs> like where you go in to a public place and you just take pictures of random people and they're like they're they're like the fodder for for your content it's not like staged it's not it's not all like written um it's not coming out of your head it's just like going out into the world and taking pictures of like regular people and it's pretty like you know it's pretty like commando style like these people sometimes don't know they're being photographed they don't know they're going into this magazine and Gavin McGinnis used to just write the funniest captions ever. I tried to find some. It's actually really hard to find online. Although some of them are for sale on uh, eBay, apparently. But either way, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. You've so you've never heard of Big Brother, huh? No. So what is Big Big Brother? If anybody's in the audience heard of Big Brother, give me a wave or a hundred or something. Give me an emoji. Because nothing, bro. nothing. No one has Big ever heard of Brother. This. No, but everybody's heard of Jackass, right? And everybody's <laughs> heard, heard of Spike of Jones, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Um Big Brother was started by World Industry Skateboard Company which had Spike Jones on in like 1990 as one of their uh, main employees. I think he did a lot with uh, advertising and stuff, among other things. And they started a magazine, Big Brother Magazine, which eventually the staff from Big Brother Magazine turned into Jackass. Like the people who were doing Big Brother Magazine are the people who did Jackass. And Spike Jones is the one who made that happen. He's the one who got them you know, the job with MTV. He got them He got them a screening with HBO and he got them a screening with MTV and HBO rejected it. Mm. Then it turns out when um, Vice went from Montreal to, to Williamsburg and they were trying to get on MTV, Spike Jones is the one who did it. So Spike Jones is like at the heart of all this like major cultural, these major cultural forces that that spanned you know, the last 30 years, like the last 30 years of like underground sort of like edgy sort of outside the mainstream culture is pretty much like all Spike Jones in some way. He made all of it happen, which is, is really that also where is that also where Harmony Corian comes from? Because he came from the not, skater scene. No, also. not really. But um, Larry, whatever the guy taking pictures of him. Yeah. You know, I wondered if it was Terry uh, Richardson, no, but it was wasn't Terry. it. No, but the thing is, is that guy, Terry, uh, or no, yeah, um, Larry, not Larry, Larry, uh, we'll have to look it up. But he was a photographer hanging out in yeah. like, New York. Yeah, and, and he met Har Harmony Corrine and had him direct, or he he uh, bought this kid's script from him and he made it. Yeah, he, he was like the photographer and like the cinematic yeah. director or whatever. But Harmony Corinne pretty much did that whole movie. But it wasn't really connected, no. But the figure, this this Larry guy whose last name I gotta look up, I wonder if you're canceled knows it. Um, he was like a Terry Richardson type who would like take really lewd and inappropriate, you know, near pornographic pictures of like underage kids doing like illegal shit, and he turned out to obviously be like a creepy pedophile. I think um, Terry Richardson was a huge part of why Vice got so many um, lawsuits against it. And when you watch his stuff, I mean, I remember when Vice like really broke out and they had VBS.TV. Did you ever watch that? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. He was on there and I remember he had like a documentary with Sasha Gray and lots of other stuff. And they put lots of his um, photography in. And I just remember thinking it was like incredibly creepy. Obviously, incredibly creepy. And then, very soon after his era, they were the ones who, like that whole American Apparel like uh, campaign from like 2010. You remember this? And it was basically just like return to just having like good-looking women in underwear for an underwear ad or like a T-shirt ad. And it was all, it was all. You know about this, right? You remember this? Uh, I think your cancel was just tweeting about it recently. What was this? The American the American Apparel ads. And it was like a revival of like the 90s style, like 
kind of like yeah 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 yeah, yeah the, all that shit comes from terry richardson and a guy named cobra snake who's actually still around and and they were both taking like film pics of hot hipster girls yeah at various parties i'm actually going to end my youtube stream because i'm just realizing like a complete fucking idiot that they can't hear you uh so fuck this it'll just be on um zoom later but um you're on the zoom right yep okay uh and they actually get their style from that kind of gritty film picture so when i was working for vice i took all all my pictures were in film and even to this day a film camera just captures like all those American apparel ads. Those were all taken with a film camera. And if, even if you go to the store right now and you buy like an Olympus shitty $60 film camera and you just fill it with like Fuji film and you go around and you take pictures with that camera, it will look a hundred percent like vice Terry Richardson, Cobra snake. Like it'll have that look just because that's how like a crappy film camera looks. And it, I thought it was such a hack at the time because all the shit that I would take, the first piece I ever had in, in Vice was about me going to Cuba. And I brought this film camera to Cuba and it was like every picture I took looked so fucking cool because it was just made with this shitty film camera and everybody else was taking digital photos. And that's still the case to, to, today. If you go and take pictures with a film camera, it looks incredible. But anyway, Cobra Snake and Terry Richardson took their aesthetic from Nan Golden. So Nan Golden was really the original photographer who made that like green room, gay, tranny, drugs, super gritty kind of aesthetic. And then, uh, yeah, so she kind of pioneered that. And then, uh, you know, she got famous later on for taking down the Sacklers, which is a fascinating story in its own right. I had no idea, but the thing I was going to say about it is that that guy also got in trouble? The American apparel apparel guy. Yeah, yeah, Dove Charney. Yeah, he got totally canceled. Yeah, I mean, so, he was he was yeah he was like you know doing crazy shit. Right. So I'm saying that in those years, the 2006 to 2010 years, they had all these campaigns going, and all these guys ended up getting like lawsuits. They ended up getting you know sexual harassment charges, and they ended up getting like the precursor to being canceled. Uh, you know what I mean? So Vice was like really out ahead with all this stuff. Yeah, right, right. And then they they did Vice News, which was great for a long time. And you remember um, The Intercept came out sometime around maybe a little after Vice News and they got like Jeremy Scahill and Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi and they were also supposed to be like alternative to the mainstream. And like, I remember the New York Times which is still going strong. Like, dude, I thought they were going to die. Like, I thought they were fucking dead in like 2014 and they should have died. And they're definitely being propped up by money. Um, actually, I'd like to look into that because I always kind of assumed that, that that their natural death had happened like 10 years ago and that they're just a walking zombie that has, uh, you know, Soros or some other Soros type right. money behind it, keeping them alive. But actually, when I was reading about the fall and the bankruptcy of vice it looks like advertising dollars right now are extremely hard to come by this is more more your world i don't know if you can speak to that but it made me think that perhaps legacy media actually 
like counterintuitively was able to like ride out the digital wave and now that the wave is like broken um and the money's like gone because buzz buzz what is it buzzfeed also and vox is downsizing Bud buzzfeed is closing its news and vox is downsizing not a lot of money's gone like the legacy media is like still around you know well, but it's really not. I mean, it's almost all dead besides the New York Times. So you're you're talking about an apex fallacy. You're you're talking about like it's all died besides the very, very high tip of the entire iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the rest of it is completely dead and gone. And actually, there are Nicolo Soldo today RT'd on Substack or like restacked a cool article about it was very basic, but it's a cool article about this shift. And actually the only legacy media, everything's dead and dying and gone. The only one that's actually growing is the New York times. Like the New York times has added like a million subscribers in the past little bit of time where everything else is just completely dying and, and going away. And the point of this article is to say that, we are switching entirely over to a subscription model because yeah. is that where they're going? Yeah. Yeah. And New York times gets that and look at Substack. I mean, like I'm shocked at how many Substack subscribers I have and how many people pay. It's amazing. It's there's so many people who want to pay for stuff now, you know, and they all kind of get it. And I think Elon understands that too, which is why he's pushing blue so hard because he understands like, uh, journalism and and media is going to a subscription model. It's going away from an advertising model. Yeah, and and a large the, pretty much the reason for that is because if you look at the numbers, all the clicks. So if we're looking at clicks as what advertisers buy, eighty five percent of them, ninety percent of them are owned by two companies. Who? Google, Google and, Facebook. And, Facebook. and Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's insane. They they own all of it. They completely dominate. So all these other little like publishers are are trying to like fight it out for the last fifteen percent. It's just a complete waste of time, and that's why Substack is completely is like going crazy, and BuzzFeed is basically over because they tried to monetize the clicks. Same thing with Vice. Vice tried to monetize the clicks, and we saw what happened. You know, I mean, Vice also got compromised for other reasons, but. Well, yeah, Vice was a crazy big mess. And I was reading about monetizing the clicks and they were just, it looks like there was, you know, is this official? Like, was there officially a second dot-com bubble in the middle of the 20 teens? Is that, do they say that now? Or maybe it'd be a third bubble? Because that was like the era of overvaluation of companies and drawing in lots of uh, investment from venture capitalists. Like that was the Theranos era you know, is that is that a thing? Like a, because there was a dot com com bubble in the nineties. Was there another yeah, one? There's a second one. I've never heard. I think you're you're making that up. Maybe you can make. Well, that I think a thing. that there was <laughs> there. There seemed like there was. It was all Silicon yeah. Valley money. Yeah. Or it was a lot. A lot of it was Silicon Valley money, and a lot of these companies were overvalued. At like, you know, Buzzfeed was one of them. Yeah, they were overvalued. And Vice, same. I mean, Vice was valued at what eight billion dollars. Well, the highest it got was five point seven billion in twenty seventeen. Yeah, and now it's ten percent of that. It, it, it's Soros, for, it's, it's being sold. It. For, it's being sold for four hundred million. Yeah, yeah. Which it seems, 
that seems insane to me also you know what i mean yeah, like but when, when disney when disney uh divested in it a few years ago they marked it down as worthless so the fact that it anyone's paying 500 million i mean first of all the funny thing and this goes to show exactly what happened with it even four years ago in 2018, George Soros threw them a lifeline of like $250 million even then. So Soros was already investing in them. And then now he's buying it for parts. You know, he basically came in to buy it out of bankruptcy once it declares bankruptcy. So, you know, they hired this girl boss to run it in 2018, who immediately drove it into the ground. And I mean, not that it was already going into the ground. So she just allowed it to go into the ground. And uh, they got an injection when Girl Boss started from Soros to see if he could make it happen. And then it died. And then now Soros is buying it for parts. So it's like, what is Soros going to do with it? You know, it's is it, it's like it makes you think it's like, well, he's probably just going to keep pushing the woke agenda, I assume. Well, it's like there's got to be like email lists in there or something that go straight to antifa you know you got to think that (laughs) you know i mean they they are antifa i mean right it's like you look at these did you see the the clip of the subway protest that came out today that was like yeah you know seven it, it was literally maybe 17 18 people in the they went down on, you know, I used to live in New York. I know all about this. I never saw anybody in the subway, like in front of the train, right? You never went in there. There was like 18 people in front of the train in the subway in New York City. And then there was like seven cameras on them. There was literally almost as many cameras and they were clearly professional cameras. So there was like seven cameras on 17 people, right? So it's like, you have to ask, who are those 17 people? Are those 17 people really people who just woke up and decided to go there? Like, no fucking way. You know, at least six to seven of those people are people who are either being paid or they're they're cocked and locked, they're ready, they're like potential energy waiting to protest whatever comes down the pipe for them to protest. And then they jump in the stairwell, and then we have all these clips that we're sharing amongst each other of look, there was a protest in the subway. You know, it's completely manufactured. And I feel like Soros is definitely behind a lot of those dollars. You know, I mean, I think that he is for sure setting up these networks of of color revolution style protests, uh, just like the ones that just occurred. Well, yeah, and they'll probably just keep using Vice to do what it's been doing. I mean, when you look at what Vice was doing, you know, seven eight years ago they were massively diversified across literally every media platform that exists they were online they were on cable television they had a news show they had a tech show they had a and they were in each of these shows were like their own channel like their own website you know so they had all these different divisions which apparently you know according to this new yorker intelligence or intelligence or article i read it was really just all the, all this stuff you saw coming out of Vice was really just Shane Smith uh, trying to recruit investors by spinning a yarn about these different divisions that they had that didn't even exist. And then they would uh, get huge infusions of cash of like checks for like 75 million, 25 million, 400 million at a time. Uh, Soros had already invested in them. Rupert Murdoch had already invested in them. Disney had already invested 400 million dollars in them. Uh 
back in the day and everything just totally went woke. And I don't know, you know, Shane Smith, I, I kind of figured once I saw this happen and how much of a difference it was from the way it was before, like how much of a sea change had gone down there. I just assumed he didn't have anything to do with it, but at least on paper, he's still like in charge of the whole thing. So I, I don't know what he was doing. If he just didn't care or, and he wanted the money or if he didn't like what was happening, I don't know. And I listened to a lot of interviews with Gavin McGinnis over the years, and he really didn't he didn't really ever say anything bad about Shane Smith, except he did say that all he ever cared about from day one was money. So I felt like that was his way of kind of explaining what happened to Vice. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, though, because Shane also did some of the best videos. I want to yeah, say he was Shane, the- he did the best one ever, which was uh, Vice Guide to Liberia. I remember, and I know, I, yes, I know Curtis Yarvin just said the same thing on the new right, but I also thought this. I remember the where I was sitting when I first saw Vice Guide to Liberia with General Butt Naked, and I went through all <laughs> of them. I remember exactly where I was. I think this was like early days of Netflix, and you could get it on Netflix, or you could get it somewhere that was like streaming, and it was like early days of cord cutting. I was living in New Orleans at the time. I had like a one-bedroom by myself. And I remember stumbling, stumbling across Vice Guide to blah, blah, blah. And I had already been like slightly conscious of Vice. And I watched Vice Guide to Liberia. And I was like, God damn, that shit is fucking amazing. You know, it was just so cool because it was so dark. And they went to the, you know, he went to real extremes. Like he got deep in there, man. you know, into this really dark place. And it was just not a story you were ever getting anywhere else. You know, you weren't seeing like the. I'm completely ripping off what Moldbug just said on New Right, so I don't want to. I don't want to be like claiming. Yeah, credits, but everybody, but, everybody. But who... I really do remember this. I'm not. I'm not just saying. Like I really remember this moment. So. Um, yeah, everybody yeah. who was there at the time remembers it because it, it was a big deal and there was nothing like that. And the the thing is, is like I, I'm interested to hear what people had to say about what they think of Vice because at the time there was nothing like that, and they kept it up. For like 10 years. I mean, that came out in like 2006 or something like that. And the Vice Guide to Travel was even before that. And uh, they were still doing stuff like that in like 2014, 2015. I remember Vice News on HBO, the first two, at least the first two seasons were like fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah, and who was the guy? Remember it was Ryan something with the tattoos? He was like became their reporter. It was like Ryan something. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't and, even know. And he was going to all these interesting places. It was already getting a little cringy then, though, too. You know, once they lost G- well, after, Gavin, yeah. once Gavin was gone, the soul was gone. And it was just a matter of time. I mean, you know, like Gavin was really the one that was making it interesting. And then once he was gone, it was like, oh, we're not going to tell the truth anymore. And now it's just a bunch of style. It's like style. Yeah, well, that was like the print and the 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 photo and the online like the online journalism, if you can call it that, criticism was right. like it wasn't it was like drivel. I stopped reading it when it went online because it was garbage. But all the video stuff was like the best. It, to this day, it's still some of the best shit I've ever seen. I remember. Um, yeah. So so. So it's over. It's over. Vice Vice is over. And yeah, so we talked it's about the over. it's been over forever. You know, it's not well, it's bankrupt now. But um it's, and and it's George Soros now. Now it is George Soros Media. 
Yeah, and he had already invested a lot of money in yeah, in right. Vice, uh, which I think I think you said. And your canceled came to to our aid. It was Larry Clark who did Kids. Yeah, Larry Clark, right? <laughs> um. So, but I thought for sure what happened with Vice was a go woke, go broke scenario, but apparently not. Apparently, so, it's all you the know, advertising. Well, it's funny. You know, I published. I was writing for Vice in. 2013 and i published like five articles with them two under a pseudonym one of the articles was about me like getting hookers in amsterdam one of the articles was about me going to cuba one of the articles was about me and i was actually supposed to do a whole vice documentary for them that i shot and that i actually have to this day i've been still waiting to do something with this i went like urban exploring in the rust belt for them in 2016. And I went to like Youngstown, Ohio. This is pre-Trump. And this is how I knew Trump was going to get elected because I saw the Rust Belt and I talked to so many people there and I realized like what had happened. So this was like perfect fucking timing, but it never came together. Uh, but I did end up publishing one article about like urban exploring in Pittsburgh and shit with this guy, Seth Lawless at the time. So I had like a few articles in there. They published a bunch of pictures of mine, but the last piece I ever wrote for them was about like exactly the shit I read about today, which was, it was about like, I, since I was a journalist for LA Weekly at the time, I would get invited to all these like PR like parties and it would be open bar and it would be like Cadillac presents the, like the best women of marketing like it would be all these like uh highlighting minorities in this thing and it was all uh sponsored by various brands right and they would be at these really cool places in hollywood it would be like at the roosevelt hotel and shit like that and i published a piece i went to one of these things i brought my film camera my aforementioned film camera and i shot a bunch of these like girl bosses in like 2014 and I wrote a whole, and I like challenged them. Like I said to them, like, don't you think this is bullshit? Like, why are you being celebrated for this by Cadillac? Like, wh why is that good? You know, like I, I just went and like gave them shit basically. And they published it. They fucking published it. You can see it. It's still up. It's called, oh, nice. yeah, Google. I think it's called like feminism and corporate PR, like the circus of feminism and corporate PR or something. It's my name. I think it's under me. And, uh, they published it and it was like super critical. It was like ultra critical of like PR feminism. Right. And my editor at the time was this fucking bitch who still is just a total, <laughs> total cuck. Uh, like, my editor is a fucking bitch too, dude, man. <laughs> absolute fucking cuck. Wait, who's your editor? You have an uh, editor? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mike Pearl. I'll fucking fuck this guy. Oh yeah. His, you've told, you've told me Pearl. stories about Mike Pearl when we were he drinking still exists. He's still <laughs> Yeah, dude, exists. you hate that guy. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Just like the most fucking bitch ass like like he talked and just like 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 you know like the most feminized voice and he's like this little nerd and he has like glasses and yet he's like the biggest asshole you know like you try and just talk to him like a fucking human being i'm making like 50 dollars to to do like seven edits of this fucking piece and you just try leveling with them, you know, just like, hey, man, like now this guy was a vice talk. editor. Yeah. Vice editor. Vice editor. OK. And, OK. And he like is just pulling the like my shit doesn't stink card all fucking day, you know, 
and this was how all these editors were. I, I was writing for a lot of these little like cool publications, LA Weekly too. And this was the exact moment, 2014. This was the exact moment when everything changed. And I remember my editor at LA Weekly, who was, uh, I had a couple different editors, but uh, we had this really cool editor in chief um, named Sarah Fensky, who was dope and was like secretly based. And she got like fired basically, or not fired. She got like pushed out and got replaced by like the woke the woke like took everything over. And this happened to every weekly. I had a guy on my podcast named Ryan Zickgraf. He's like a leftist, but listen to this episode with me and Ryan Zickgraf, the exact same thing happened to him with the Chicago reader. So like village voice, Chicago reader, LA weekly, which were all these kind of like weekly vice equivalents. They got just in one fell swoop, utterly wokeified, like communist fucking takeover. And it happened to me, he got like canceled, even though he's like an ultra leftist. I didn't actually get canceled. I got like semi canceled. Like I had like some complaints against me at LA Weekly, but I was just a freelancer. So like, what are they going to fucking do? Like, you know, all they can do is like not call me back. And uh, I remember the fucking moment though, because my editor who was cool and was like, you know, into hip hop, like he was a completely like non-political guy he like messaged me. I was trying to get him to read something I was working on at the time. And I was like, Hey man, like, can you read this? Can you like send it to your agent? Like, let's talk about this. Like, you know, you're my mentor here, blah, blah, blah. And he messaged me and he says, yeah, man, I can't send this to anybody. And I was like, why? And he was like, because you have a distinct feeling of othering in your writing. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he was like, he was like, yeah, oh, you, cause I wrote a, a piece that was like anti Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> I wrote a piece called like Kendrick Lamar fucking sucks. And because Kendrick Lamar does suck and is just like a corporate creation. And I wrote a piece about Kendrick Lamar being a corporate creation. And he was like, yeah, man, like, you know, your writing like really seems like it's like the perspective of a white man, you know, like talking about people that you don't understand. And I'm like, I am a fucking white man. Like, what do you want me to, you want me to write about like from a different perspective? You want me to like make it up? Like, what do you want me to do here? And uh, later on, he later, like many years later, he apologized because then he, of course, got fucking swept up in it because he's a white guy writing about rap. So he got like canceled later. And then he apologized and was like, yeah, man, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. This is all the same guy. No, that wasn't Mike Pearl. This was a different guy. Mike Pearl was just a total bitch. I was going to say this guy's writing about rap. No, Mike Pearl like writes a fucking children's book about like dinosaurs. Like he's a complete just lost cause. Like pedophile. Fucking, no, don't eat that fucking pedo. Mike like, Pearl. <laughs> don't even fucking. Fuck waste man, your time. I think I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna de-anonymize and make a podcast just talking shit about all my ex bosses. This is Dude, way more fun. Fuck, this, this is, is way thing. more fun like, than talking care. about right wing politics. Dude. <laughs> These so, guys were my bosses, though. Let me just be fucking clear. In the entire time I worked for Vice, I think I made like six hundred dollars. Yeah, know? well, that was like one of total. the things that they were saying all the way along along the line. I asked Lady Astor, I was like, "Hey, you used to work for Vice. Can you give us like a? a do you want to say something? You know, and I'll, I'll read it on air." And she was basically like, "Yeah, tell them they never fucking paid anyone." Like that yeah, was what no, she had to say. Oh like <laughs> I had to like I had to contact them like months later. For 50 fucking dollars. Like yeah. I would be like, can I have my 50 fucking dollars, please? 
You know, like give me my yeah. fucking thing. The worst guy ever, though, was another guy I'll name Lawrence Schlossman. Lawrence fucking Schlossman. <laughs> Fucking writer of Complex. He worked for for Complex magazine. You remember Complex? I by name, but I never read it. So Complex was like one of these ones that was kind of cool, also. And he had this blog called Four Pins that was like fashion. And I wrote wrote an article about going to Marfa, Texas, Prada Marfa, before anybody had fucking been there. I was like the first person to ever like discover Prada Marfa, and I wrote this piece about it in 2013. Like now it's become everybody has it on their fucking everything. I discovered it randomly in 2014, 2013. And I wrote a thing for him and this motherfucker just ghosted me. Like he published it on complex magazine, like a huge fucking magazine. And he said he was going to pay me $50. He never fucking paid me. N- never paid. He just I, like, I can't believe never responded. That- Fifty fucking dollars. Agreements were made to publish mag uh, to publish articles for fifty dollars. I mean, who, dude? That's what I was. That's the amount of money we were talking about here. Yeah, literally fifty fucking. I mean, okay. So in LA Weekly, when I made it into the print, I would get like five hundred. But for just like an everyday article, the articles I started writing were fifty, and then by the end of it, it was one hundred fifty dollars. Like sometimes 200, depending on like how much work it took me. Uh, yeah, dude. No, they didn't pay shit. This was, this whole thing was a complete joke. The the best story I have, and I'll tell this one, then I'll shut the fuck up because this one's really good. I think I tweeted about it. So you, do you remember Curbed? Again, in name only. So I was, I wrote for Curbed at the time. I had this idea. So in New York City, there's Letitia James publishes this list of the hundred worst landlords. Oh, yes. Right. And we've all seen this. For the listener, I've heard like all of these stories, (laughs) but it's good. It's a good story. Is this boring? Does everybody? No, it's a good story. story. I just think it's funny that I like know you. Well, I'll tell it quickly. Yeah. Tell us. Tell the story. But all right. So I'm writing. This is just like the time in which I'm writing for these vice type magazines. So it's it is relevant. But anyway, uh, I write. So I decide I'm going to do the L.A. version of the worst landlords. So I go and with my own money, actually, it was this girl spawned, like paid for it because she wanted this to happen. So she and me paid $750 for like the complaint data from the HCIDLA, which is the housing authority in LA to see which landlords had most complaints against them. Right. This was back when I was like a Marxist, which was lasted for like a year. Uh, and so I was super mad at the landlords. Right. So I get this fucking data. I do all kinds of, I like go and talk to tenants. Like I probably spent weeks and weeks and weeks writing this story about the worst landlords in LA. Finally, I come up with a methodology. I I make 10, I, I pick 10 of them, right? And we, I say the night before we're about to publish, my, my uh, editor's paying no attention to me. I'm like, listen, they are going to fucking sue us. Like these guys, they they hate being named. This is what you realize about the elites. They fucking hate being named more than anything. The last thing they want is to ever be named. They don't want their name out there. They fucking hate it. So I knew this and I knew this is what I want, why I wanted to do it because I wanted to fucking name them. So, uh, and these guys are super abusive. Like this isn't just like, these are very, very bad people. And, uh, 
so right before we're about to publish, they show they first of all, I say you need to fact check this. You have to pay somebody to fact check this article, or else we're gonna get sued. And they publish it anyway, right? They just fucking throw it out there. No fact checking. They don't send anybody to fucking like vet anything I've said. They don't look at my data. They just take totally my word for it and they fucking publish it, which is completely irresponsible. It's absolutely insane that they thought that that was okay. Simultaneously, they publish this cartoon with it, right? So there's a cartoon that they have pay for original art. And the cartoon shows white people like fucking over brown people. Of course. Right? Like yeah. like the of white male landlord like like grabbing the money from like brown people, right? And I you know, I'm I'm half Jewish. I say at that point I wasn't identifying as Jewish at all, but you know, I am. And my editor, Jewish woman, and I say I'm not comfortable with this art at all. Because this isn't accurate at all. Because you want to know who's on that top 10? The top 10 is one Indian guy, one Chinese guy, and then eight Jews. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and like six of the Jews aren't white. <laughs> six of the Jews are fucking Sephardic. Oh They're God. Middle Eastern Jews. They're not even fucking white Jews. There's only fucking two white people on the entire list. So wow. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm, I'm like, why are you showing this as white people? Because actually most of the people on this list aren't even white. Yeah. And she, she's like, oh, well, don't worry about that. And I'm like, well, actually, if you want to reflect this list accurately, you should make everybody on here Jewish. Like, why don't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, no, you know, I was going to say all this, but <laughs> no fucking response, you know, no response at all. And then it starts getting weird. You know, then like I started getting calls from one of the biggest assholes on the list. Uh, you know, it's like it starts getting really ugly. And long story short, they took the article down. They fucking removed it. You can still find it. It still exists if you really dig. But uh, yeah, you know, it's like this just showed me this whole racket, you know, this like gonzo journalism, like the people's journalism just in 2014, 2015, just completely died. You know, like Jonathan Gold was a great L.A. Weekly guy, amazing food writer. He I saw met him at the end of his life and he was just like, fuck this whole thing, man. It's all dead. It's all bad. All right. Well, let's uh, let me ask you a question. So it got taken over by wokeness. Everybody knows that. Everybody understands yeah. that. And interestingly, wokeness isn't directly responsible for bringing vice down. Actually, it's it's the fraught environment of it's the fraught like viewership environment and the fraught advertising environment of digital media. Because, you know, the article I was reading in the New York, uh, no, the Wall Street Journal was saying that the viewers uh, of like Vice content online was actually like greatly, greatly misrepresented by the fact that they were using click farming uh, advertising, you know, websites. And yes, everybody, yes. everybody knows those. Everybody's seen them a million times. Totally. And they, we could explain the scam, but... Uh, Everybody's seen them and you it says, you know, uh, 15, 15 movie stars, uh, whatever you see, watch, see them naked or some shit. And uh, it's clickbait. 
And then that somehow drives the numbers artificially to your site. And Vice, apparently, the guy in charge of, like, the numbers just did that. Like, all he did was, like, hire a couple click farm advertising agencies just specifically to, like, boost the numbers up. And then they use that to evaluate the company. And the bottom just fell out. So the two questions I have is, like, first... Do you think that there really is viable advertising money in digital media for both culture, news, criticism, and things like that? I mean, yeah. So it, I'm actually working. Is on it this. there? I, I'm literally working on this exact problem. And our boy Swampist, who's actually on here, I would love for him to weigh in on this because he knows this better than I do. But um, the question is: Can you make any money off programmatic ads? and affiliate links from your publication on advertising, right? So it's like Babylon B, let's take Babylon B, right? They're aligned, they have insane traffic, crazy, amazing traffic, right? How do they refine all that attention that they get into an oil that is actually profitable for them? And I think the answer quite clearly is that no one figured out how to do that. You know, I mean, the only people that really figured that out are like Drudge Report. You know, I mean, like Drudge figured out how to do that because he was getting however many fucking millions and millions and millions of hits a day. He didn't do any work. There was no overhead. <laughs> he just had to put a bunch of fucking links on a page and he didn't have to do anything. And then he just put birch gold ads on there, which convert really, really well amongst like old ass boomers. So he like fidgeted with the margins in such a way that he could make it really work. You know, a link farm like that, you can make it work, right? But anybody else in our space, look at Alex Jones. He can't just throw some programmatic ads on his site and call it a day. He has to shill. He has to shill supplements, you know, or any of these podcast guys, they have to outwardly shill these things. They can't just uh, have passive ads. They have to really integrate it into their uh, program, right? So I think that the lesson there is that no, you cannot really make money on passive advertising. If you are going to run one of these companies and you plan to only make money from ads, uh, the fall of Vice, the fall of every single media company in the entire fucking universe besides the New York Times. You know, the only ones that are left are Vanity Fair, New York Times, and Harper's. Harper's is funded by the MacArthur Foundation, so they don't have to worry, right? Uh, fucking uh, Vanity Fair, probably the CIA, and New York, <laughs> you know, New York Times. I, New York Times, I think, again, it's an apex fallacy. Like, they are the only one that can do it. You know, like they can, and maybe the New Yorker, right? They, well, they, yeah, yeah, the New Yorker's Condé Nast, though, along with Vanity Fair. Right. Is New, York, is New Yorker Condé now? Fuck. I, well, now up, I have man. to look it up, but um, sad. New York Times is always, it's always kind of been famous for, for their ad revenue. It's pretty I mean, high. like, right. And also, like, so you know what a really good question is? New York Post. How does New York Post do? Yeah, the clickbait. You know, can, can <laughs> they do Total it? clickbait. But they, they do good shit. Also, New York Magazine. I think New York Magazine might be the only magazine doing real journalism, period. You know, like, like yeah, New York Magazine does right. real shit. 
I've read some I good articles there, but yeah, they do. They actually do real stories. New York, New York Magazine. So I don't know. You know, it's like I if I if I knew, I would uh, do it myself. I mean, I'm trying to do it myself. We're we're trying to work on this and figure out these numbers, but um, you know, it's it's uh the entire thing just got completely blown up and exploded. So it's we're still uh, walking among the wreckage and and trying to figure it out. Yeah, New New Yorkers owned by Condé Nast. Yeah, so. And you so know, New Yorker. Well, yeah, I mean, Vanity Fair is definitely like, you know, compromised. New Yorker, I don't think is. I think Remnick is a good guy. I, well, or, he's 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 like old school liberal. Yeah, which is like, but like in a good way, I think. Like, well, I, I think he's. I don't think he's like an enemy. You know. Well, the left hates him. We can say that. Well, he I, published the Weinstein story, which was that was yeah, that was and dope he he uh, appeared on a panel with Bannon, and I think he might have even had Bannon in the magazine, and they fucking yeah. found out on him over that. Yeah, I think Remnick is like legit. I mean, but, I I yeah. I've always consumed all of this stuff. I've read all of these magazines all, yeah. all throughout my life, and I basically stopped reading everything in like 2017 or 2018 because it was all just communist feminist garbage it was yeah. all propaganda everything sucked and it was basically bap and rog nationalists that like were the first two people i found bap's podcast and rog's man's world were the first two things i found that actually had like real culture and it had like somebody's real opinion and it had a real perspective from a real person it wasn't all like run through like a bunch of lawyers and hr you know, when I was talking about Big Brother and Jackass, I want to talk about them a lot more, but we probably won't have time. But one of the things let's do that... let's do ten more minutes of you and me, and then we can open it up. Well, we got to talk about uh, Man's World. So I, I wanted to ask. Um, so the the advertising dollars, you think it looks like the advertising dollars are just going to stay the way they are, basically, which is not a good scene. But there's well, other no, because look, if you can create your own networks, it's all about. Look, so people who do this well, they view it as like, um, I, I use the metaphor as oil all the time. So I know I just said this, but attention really is oil, right? Oil has to be refined in order for it to be worth anything. So you have two choices with oil. Either it spills out all over the place on your land, you do nothing about it, or you refine it. The people who know how to refine the oil Look at Solbra, right? That's yeah, he, a guy, he refined his oil. Yeah, he sure He figured out how to fucking refine it because he tacked on a couple of products. He made it so that everything goes to a central place. He probably has a, a, an email list. The email list is the most powerful thing. So the email list is what converts more than anything else. So if you can just boil this down to a certain uh, number where it's like, all right, I have 100,000 emails. I'm going to hit that list a few times a day and I'm going to convert, not a few times a day, sorry, a few times a month, whatever. Uh, and I'm going to convert X amount of customers from that hundred thousand. Then you start having a metric of your refinement of the oil. You start seeing, okay, my hundred thousand is worth this much because I'm able to sell them this much, right? The reason why all these fucking awful products like you know, these bullshit snake oil supplements, birch gold. I mean, not that, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in gold. You probably should, but uh, 
you know, like uh, all this, other, you know, the pails, the preparation pails, the, the reason why these things do fucking well is because they're the best refiners, right? Because there's a bunch of idiots out there who just buy shit based on fear. So that's why all of these magazines that are actually good, like Alex Jones, are full of these horrible fucking advertisements because those are the things that convert at a, at a very high level. Well, Jones is, I mean, his model is, is a good one. I don't know who could possibly ever replace him. And I have a long article on my blog and I, man, don't drink and write people. I was drinking gin heavily and I was writing an article on Alex Jones and it was like 50 pages long and it was really fucking good. And I somehow like was drinking gin and woke up and like half of it was gone and I had like three weeks of like deep, dark depression and was going to quit everything because this was going to be my magnum opus. Uh, but eventually I just ended up publishing the half that was that was left over um, for paid subscribers only. So that's on my sub stack. But the point is. The 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 thrust of most of that article up until like 2018, when um when the the when Congress and the Senate had like House Judiciary Committee hearings on white supremacy and they hauled like, like if, if you guys like remember the internet, I, I said like I stopped reading all this stuff in like 27, 2018, because that's when everything started to suck. That's when the government like hauled like uh, Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, the guy from Google, the people from 4chan in front of like committees and were asking them like, why are you allowing white supremacists? Why are you allowing Nazis? Like, why are you allowing racism on your site? And it was the whole Russian bot thing. You know, it was the whole 2016 election. But the thing that really like sparked this was uh, the Christchurch shooting, because I guess like three, there was like three mass shootings in a very short period of time. And like all three shooters were active on. Um, well, the Christchurch was streamed on Facebook, but all three of the shooters were active on 4chan for a while. So they hauled these people in and like everything just sucked after that. Google sucks. You can't Google anything like you like literally go to Google right now and type in hot naked woman and you'll get like four gay black men. Like that's like what they did to the Internet. And um, Alex Jones. Before that happened, Alex Jones was like not necessarily like the best conspiracy theory guy. Like he didn't have like he didn't like understand things the best there were other people around who were who were doing it better than him but he had the charisma and he had like the energy and he also knew how to leverage the advertising to like make it profitable and he became like a massive trump supporter so he like filled this niche that was this like sprawling community of conspiracy theorists all in the 90s all in the early 2000s and he like distilled all of it down into like his shtick and he became like the main guy. And I definitely contend that he was one of the main people they were gunning for the whole time. And obviously it came to pass when they when they hauled him in front of uh, I think it was it was it civil court. I don't think it was a criminal court. And uh, they sued him for what, one point five billion dollars. Now, all of this, all of this is because these people all supported Trump. But the effect that it ended up having was to like totally shut down dissent and twitter was like a communist fucking propaganda machine i've been suspended seven times 
this is like my eighth or ninth account. Elon, I'm kind of going off the topic here, but Elon Musk buying Twitter like totally changed the scenery. And I feel like it's a new beginning, which brings us back to man's world. It feels like that dark time, that window from like 2017 post Trump up until basically, basically up until Musk buying Twitter. It seems like maybe the tide is turning. And now we know that the eyes are on on this sphere. We know that the eyes are on like the dissident right. Like the the mainstream like hates it, but like the people want to read more. Elon Musk is interacting with us. Uh we went viral like crazy during the 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 subway strangler incident. So we know that there's like people behind it. But the question is that I have for you as like the marketing guy is that like now that we see all this woke shit just loses money like crazy. The Dylan Mulvaney thing is a huge, you know, proof of this with Bud Light. I mean, they lost five billion dollars in one week. No, right? they didn't lose the stock. This is so stupid. <laughs> I fucking hate when people say this with the stock price It is the biggest LARP to say. OK, that so are you saying the fucking stock price, the revenue? Yes, the revenue was down 25 percent. That's real. The stock price loss is completely fake. It's just so. Is the revenue up. going down twenty five percent? Not bad. Rev- no, that's that is bad. That's okay. Real. The revenue is okay. is real. The stock price is completely fake. Fine. So the revenue is down twenty five percent. I I feel like it's six and one half dozen the other. No, but... no, 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 no. They care about the stock price, but only if. Uh, it's a legitimate reason to care about it. They 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 don't give a shit about the stock price if it's. Some news. Well, let me make the point I wanted to make. The point I wanted to make was what I'm leading all this up to is the advertising, right? Are the advertisers going to see that this woke bullshit is like not a moneymaker? And will they pivot to like based or at least non woke brands? Or are they just going to keep going like full steam ahead and do things the way they've always done them? You know what I'm saying? And leave people like Alex Jones to like have to resort to like colloidal silver advertisers, because it <laughs> seems like no matter what your conspiracy theory is, a colloidal silver company will always fucking advertise with you. You know what I mean? Like are things like the Dylan Mulvaney thing going to shift like the targets of the advertisers and make them more susceptible or more like amenable to advertising in like if not no, if not no purely they don't dissident. give a shit at all they don't give a shit look ab InBev. so do they, they just lose money yeah they, they, don't, lo- they don't care at all you think so why not InBev why right don't they care cares about one of their 18 brands i mean yeah it's the most popular brand in america but compared to all of the rest of their revenue it's a fucking one line on a spreadsheet that's like slightly different all they'll do is just discontinue bud light and and spend more money on Corona, spend more money on any of the other million fucking brands they have. They don't give a shit. AB InBev absolutely does not give a fuck if they lose Bud Light. They don't care at all. The Bud Light team cares because they're close to it. They're being responsible for it. And they have their jobs on the line. And, you know, the domestic revenue of Bud Light does matter because it supports a lot of people. But AB InBev, they don't give a fuck at all, man. They they don't care. And they're going to double down on this. I've said this from the very beginning. They, They put the people on leave. They're making these, you know, Jesus, deep voice cowboy ads for a little while. 
they are going to absolutely double down on woke. Every one of these global brands, they are not stopping anytime soon. And even to think of this as a win, I mean, it's a win perceptually, and it's a win because of the loss in revenue, and it's a win because the people went on a leave of absence, right? The, 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 like, those things are a win. But, and as I said in my piece about this, uh, that, you know, went pretty viral, it is an inflection point. It's a tipping point. The Bud Light thing was the moment where everybody realized, like, what woke marketing really was. And I do think that going forward, the working class in America will be much more aware of these things, which is great because over time, their money does matter, right? In this short instance, their money doesn't matter. If it mattered, it would have mattered to Nike. It would have mattered to Gillette. It would have mattered to any of the other billion brands, million brands that have done woke marketing. And there were boycotts. Remember what everybody was boycotting Nike? Where did that go? <laughs> you know, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't make any fucking difference. So, you know, they don't actually care because their revenue streams are so complicated um, and so huge that a bunch of fucking like broke people in America not buying their shit. They don't really care about that. My prediction is that uh, they're going to let this Bud Light thing go and then go 10 times harder the other direction. They're going to triple down, quadruple down. They're, on wokeness. Yeah, on wokeness. They are not going to let this go. They're not going to like let the pendulum shift the other way, right? But, but, um, there are going to be brands out there and there are going to be projects out there that start to have serious revenue, right? Like uh, Masa Chips, like, um, Hestia cigarettes. Like there's going to be these other brands that are coming up that people are going to start spending serious money on, right? And the money's not going to be serious enough to attract AB InBev because they don't care unless it's billions of dollars. They, they can't even see anything on the ground that, that that's that low because they're just so big. But that's going to start boring a hole more and more into that. And it's going to bore the hole, bore the hole, bore the hole. And that's what we really should be focusing all the time. We should be spending all our money on fucking base brands. And I don't mean Black Rifle fucking coffee. You know, I, I don't mean the fake ones. I mean the real ones. And you, you got to vet them and you got to see what's real and you got to see who actually stands for the real shit. And I mean, look, the, the Bud Light thing's great because you can tell the revenue hit is real because if you look at the numbers, Bud Light went down 20% and Coors and Miller went up 20%. <laughs> so when you look at that, you can see that at the moment of purchase, people really are thinking about this shit. And that's fucking fantastic. That reality is great because if we can just keep that going, if we can just keep milking that, over time, it's gonna. It, we really can shift this thing and we really can win this thing. But uh, in the short run, you better believe all these guys, they're not going to pivot towards the working class, dude. I mean, maybe they'll do a little bit. Maybe they'll be like a little bit uh, risk averse. But these places are long housed to the core, my friends. And unless you fire, uh, you know, 10 million. A 35 year old childless lesbian. Right. In charge yeah. of marketing. Unless you fire every person that went to Harvard for the past 10 years, 
which you're not right. going to fucking do, right. you know, you're not going to get these people out of there. And, you know, they're not going to, I mean, they will change immediately. Like when, this is what Curtis Yarvin, but this, Yarvin is right in, in the sense that once their overlords change what the like thing they're supposed to do is, they will change immediately. They don't believe in anything. They believe in success, right? That's what they believe in. They don't actually care. All they're doing is signaling to each other. But so if we can flip their overlords, if we can flip the dark elves, which is what Yarvin's point is, uh, we can infiltrate these middle manager longhouse heritants, right? Who are making these decisions. We can absolutely do that. Um, but is that going to happen anytime soon? As Yarvin also says, no, we're not going to, we're not going to flip enough dark elves within the next 10 years to, uh, make a difference. And in my personal opinion, the powers that be at the top of the globalist arc, uh, you know, power structure, they're going to force these companies to go hard back to woke. Like they're going to go way, way harder before they relent. Okay. So the advertising dollars are always are going to stay away forever. The advertising, they're not going to want to put their money with anything based, anything right wing. The traditional, the traditional advertisers. Okay, well now you're talking about ad buying, which is really you're not talking about ad content. You're talking about ad buying. Um, well, like for example, like would Bud Light buy a Man's World ad? Is what you're asking. Would Bud's Light, yeah, advertise yeah. on my podcast exactly. Right, 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 right. Hmm, like would the media? So what you're talking Do about? Do you is, think what, it would be? It's radioactive. Is dissident content buying. radioactive to to advertising? And will it always stay that way? Yeah, you're talking about you're talking about the media. I mean, I'm talking about both. I'm talking about both, but right now specifically, yeah, I'm asking. No, you're I talking mean, about media buying. So you you have to the people who are doing the content of the woke ads, like the things that most people is are is Rolex about, gonna yeah is Rolex gonna advertise on Bap's fucking podcast? <laughs> like that's what I mean. Like they should. They really. Should. I know they should. But see, this um, is the thing. Like capitalism, capital isn't driving this shit like anymore. No, it's, you're right. It's not right. anymore. It's no well, longer. Well, and also, I mean, as we've established, uh, they are getting rewarded by international development banks, by Blackstone. Right. They, exactly. They, they, they exactly have, right. They have yes, ESG. They have ESG scores. So the ESG scores drive a lot of this investment. Um. But you're right. It's like media people sitting around there. I mean, it's like, thank God for Birch Gold, right? Thank God for white label bullshit supplements or else we wouldn't have Alex Jones. You know, we wouldn't have a lot of these guys because these advertisers that don't give a shit are really keeping the lights on at, at a lot of these places. Um, but the question is like, is that going to shift? Is the media buying element going to shift? Not the woke ads themselves. I think the woke ads are going to double down. In terms of the media buying element, though, that's a little bit more difficult because a media buyer, if you have a male-leaning product, it is much, much harder to look your boss in the face and say, we're not going to buy something on Man's World, right? Because Vice, I mean, like Vice was the perfect example of this. Every brand wanted in on Vice, right? Every brand in the world, they all wanted to be cool. They wanted nothing more than to access that really hard to access male audience. 
the reason why vote vice blew up is because of advertisers because advertisers had finally found this amazing way to hit this audience that they hadn't been able to hit before. Right. That's why Joe Rogan makes so much fucking money. Why does Joe Rogan make so much money? Joe Rogan makes so much money because he's talking to an audience that no one, it's very difficult to hit that audience. Right. So it actually, that is what we should ask. Joe Rogan's the perfect litmus test. I haven't listened to Joe Rogan in like a year. What is what is he advertising these days? Because that will be the ones. If you go to Joe Rogan, you'll be willing to go to BAP eventually. Right? Yeah, I mean, he advertises like kettlebells and fucking supplements, yeah, but no, nothing mainstream. No, that's what I was saying before about Alex yeah. Jones. Like, yeah, not nothing mainstream. So, yeah. okay, yeah. All right. Well, it's probably too late in the show to talk about man's world no like, let's open it up i'm gonna have an episode I'm, with raw egg though so it was a great episode yeah bro is the fucking man man's world is awesome i'm gonna stop my podcast now yeah, and so we can right. then open up all right thanks astral you, you,